Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. We are back this week to talk about the 2007 film Persepolis. So let's step into the video store and see what Baird's up to. Baird, how you doing? I'm well, Sam. Good morning. Well, I think, uh, Barrett, before we get to Persepolis, um, I need to mention something from our last episode, which is when we were talking about movies making uh, movies about where with scenes of people watching movies, you said, I'm sure once we finish this, I'll think of a bunch of movies. And the moment we finished the episode, you mentioned the most obvious thing that we both missed. (laughs) <laughs> right, which is what which was Sullivan's travels of course exactly uh, right the most obvious connection we could have possibly overlooked <laughs> yeah so so we're we're uh right on right on script with that uh yeah, pretty right. perfectly well i really liked watching uh watching persepolis as i said i think probably in two th- i'll start with my history with this first i think in 2008 or 9 so pretty soon after this came out um, I became aware of this movie. Um, I this was back right around the era where Netflix started streaming things. Mm. I don't know if, if people remember back to when Netflix used to be the service that uh, sent you DVDs in the mail. I was a really early adopter of. They had a small streaming library, and it was a lot of documentary films or sort of smaller films that they had in this library. And I watched a ton of stuff in the summer. Um, streaming, and I think this was on a platform. I think this was on um, streaming on Netflix, like in 2008 or something. Um, and I remember watching it. I remember reading about it and being excited about it, watching it and falling asleep because we started it um, later in the evening, and we had two little kids at that point, so I was exhausted. So I, I vaguely, I remember what the film looked like, but I didn't mm-hmm. remember. And I remember like it was set in Iran, but beyond that, I don't think I remembered much about it. Um, and I, I really, I'm excited to talk about this. I really like this film. This is a movie I will watch uh, a few more times for sure, because uh, there's, there's lots of pieces I want to come, I want to revisit and think about. So, what is your history um, with this film, and if you have a history with uh, Marjane uh, Setrapi? Am I saying that right? I think so. Uh, however, yeah. you used to say it, Sam. Seems fine with me. Okay. Um, do you have any history with her, with her books? Have you, have you ever read either of these? No, you know, I don't. Despite my uh, my son's best efforts, I, I I've not been able to develop a real taste for graphic novels. Um, although I realize that she prefers the term cartoons. Actually, um, you know, I, I've read a few graphic novels. In fact, I I recently read an interesting graphic novel adaptation of Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Um, but I can't say that it's a form I I fully embrace or fully understand. So I haven't had much of a connection with her in that respect. I forgot to check my Netflix history before we started because I've I still do DVDs on Netflix by the way because you have a much better selection, um, and I go back about twenty years or so with Netflix and oh, wow. uh, I have I have a history of three thousand DVDs that I've bought from Netflix <laughs> and I and I could have gone back and found out because when Amy and I my wife and I have these conversations about when did we see this and such. Uh, 90% of the time we've watched it on a Netflix disc and I can go back and say, oh, we watched that at this time or, or have the more terrifying experience of looking at my list and saying, I don't even remember the title of that film, let alone watching it, uh, which happens from time to time. Anyway, that's a long way of saying I did not go back and check to see when I watched this. I suspect, uh, like you, it was probably not long after it came out. Probably my suspicion would be that I became aware of it when it started garnering its various awards. 
so I probably watched it sometime in 2000, uh, 2008, long enough ago that I really had um, very little memory of all but a few scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say in terms of graphic novels, uh, I will join you in the this is something I haven't really explored much in my life. I was never a uh, comic book kid even like like that just wasn't wasn't a world that that I was in. Um, I think the only graphic novel and I think it actually maybe uh, fits more in the comic book genre is um, Alan Moore's Watchmen. Mm-hmm. I remember read I remember reading that before the Zack Snyder movie came out, which I think I'm one of the only people who who didn't hate the Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> um, and I actually thought that was a, I was trying to think of like uh, adaptations of of graphic novels where, where they really tried to do some, I mean, cause there's lots of like comic booky things which get made into movies, but, uh, but I feel like the, like the uh, um, Snyder's Watchmen, he really tried to say, can I use the, the, the Alan Moore work as a visual template, you know, almost as a storyboard. And there were definitely moments um, where I thought that was, I thought that was effective. I thought about um, Sin City is another movie where oh, they, wow. they really took, let's take what this thing looks like and put it on the screen. And I think sometimes people can get too wedded to the sort, the visual source material. And that doesn't always make for, for the best movies. That's at least a criticism that, that Snyder got, um, got a lot for that. Um, another thing that I, uh, love about this movie, I mean, this, this movie is right in my wheelhouse because I love, um, coming of age stories. And this is mm. definitely one of those. And on top of that, I love um, sort of the education of an artist coming of age story. And this isn't exactly that, but it by definition is because this, this is the artwork that, that she ends up creating and telling her story. Um, Although there's, you don't get the impression that, um, that her character um, uh, Marjane in the book or in the, in the film is, her life is necessary, necessarily leading to her writing about this or creating mm-hmm. a film about this. Um, but I, those are the types, I love stories like that. Um, Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man is one of my all-time favorite books. I love getting into sort of where do people who make the things that I love, you know, where do they come from in terms of that? Are you a fan of the sort of coming of age story? Yeah, well, yeah well, what, what the, the, you know, the German term is Bildungsroman. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, one of my favorite, one of the novels that's on my top 10 list of uh, all time novels would be Dickens's Great Expectations. Um, that's, that's to me is one of a, that's a really terrific coming of age story. Uh, and actually, and funny you mention that, I'm, I'm actually in the middle right now of rereading Invisible Man. Uh, which in its own way is also a building from on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you, are, are you a, f- a fan of that in, in film? Are there, are there sort of coming of age stories that uh, in terms of film that jump out at you? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, um, there's a coming of age film set in Scotland um, with, uh, I can't remember the name of the young boy, but it's got a uh, Colin Firth and a bunch of other people in it. My, it's not, it's, I, I, the name is escaping me right now. It's my first year or my very first year or my very best year or something like that. Uh, that's a good one. I think there's a, the uh, Christian Bales, uh, one of his early films that he made with uh, Steven Spielberg, Empire of the Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another great coming of age film. Um, 
I mean, those those are the, those are the two that pop out or right right away, and maybe in a way, yeah, those those two I would start with for sure. Um, as I was as I was reading about this um, this film, I mean, this is uh, we'll we'll get into sort of response to this movie because it's it's very interesting. Um, critical response was was very high. I mean, there's very few people who, very few critics who were critical of this film. Um, there's a different set of folks who are who are uh, critical of this film. Um, but one of the things as I was reading reviews, um, talked a lot about the visual style of this movie, this as a, um, as an animated film. And it led me to think about like, I believe this movie has to be done this way visually. Uh, but I was trying to think why. Why? What is it? And, and, and a lot of the reviews I read speculated on sort of why um, why this film works best as a as an animated film. So I'm and and I know you paired this with Life Animated. Um, why do you think or do you think this story uh, needs to be told in this way visually? Well, that was actually a question I, I kept asking myself, Sam, because to me that is kind of the obvious question that pops out about this film. Like what? what is it about this film um, that requires this medium? Because I think that's, as a general statement about art, I think that's kind of the key to any successful work of art. Like you have to find the right way uh, to tell the story or to present your ideas, whatever it might be. So I, I think there's, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of things, some of them obvious, maybe some of them not, not so obvious. The most obvious one, of course, that jumps out at me is the fact that um, you know, the story is framed uh, as a flashback. Mm -hmm. And so the action in the present is in color, of course. And then the action in the flashback um, is, is in the style of the graphic novel. Uh, and I'll just say it as, a, as an aside, there's lots of ways for filmmakers to, to do that. Um, you know, most, most recently uh, in, in, in uh, Spike Lee's The Bloods, you know, moving from full screen to a, uh, to a three, to a three, uh, three, four, four, three ratio. Um, there's, uh, and that's, that's, so that's, there's, that's one way to signal the, the change, but I think it's, a it's a distinction that's made even more clear when you're going from color to, to, to black, to black and white. And then even within the black and white, when they do the, when her uncle tells the story of the rise of the Shah's family, um, that, uh, particular animation is in a, is in another, is in a different style altogether. It's almost like a form of, uh, of puppetry. Uh, in, in the way the figures move. Um, so you get that kind of in broad strokes, but then I think there are a number of more specific effects that happen that work because it's animated. And I, I, I would put those maybe into three different categories. Um, one I would say is a kind of visual uh, emphasis uh, that brings out, uh, that helps to characterize or uh, helps direct the viewers to particular aspects of the character of the action. So A.O. Scott, for example, in his review in the New York Times, he notes that the beards of the male religious zealots are like black holes in the screen, sucking away the light. Um, there's also times when the contrast of the white against the black is used, for example, so Marjane stands out in a crowd or when she's undergoing her um, emotional crisis and she's lying on her bed, her face and the pills are both white and those, mm -hmm. those stand out. So I think there's that element of it. I think this, the second element is um, uh, what you might call the debt to, to German actionism in, in the film. So if you think about live action films like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, they have a very distinctive uh, uh, look to them. But expressionism can also mean that uh, the images are intended to express emotional realities rather than objective realities. 
And to me, a couple of times when this happens, it, it can only be done successfully in animation, is um, her memory of going through puberty, mm -hmm. uh, which she calls a time of consistent, consistently renewed ugliness. Um, it's almost Disney-like the way uh, the way her body changes in those flashbacks. But then the one I really love is when she um, thinks about Marcus after he's betrayed her in flashback, and yeah. all, and all of a sudden he's been transformed into this you know, pimply buck-faced uh, uh, oaf. Um, so so there's the expressive element, and then there's what I would call a kind of a non-realistic element. Um, like the way the jasmine flowers, um, when her grandmother takes off her bra, the way the jasmine flowers kind of float all over the screen. And of course, they're in the opening credits uh, as well. Or when she describes her first date with Marcus and the car uh, seems to be flying. Uh, or, just, or, or just her dream of dying when she meets God and Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it definitely allows for, for her to like, or for the story to slip easily be, be also because it's flashback and there's so there's you're you're dealing with memory here too where 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 it can slide between you know her running around Tehran as a little girl and then her talking to God and it and it's seamless because of that for sure. I, yeah, I think that's the key thing. It's seamless because you know some of those effects I just mentioned you could say oh you could do that with CGI. Um, yeah, you could, you could, but but because. But if you're working within a, a the world in which we live and those things happen, they inevitably kind of take you out of that world. They strain your credulity a little bit. They make you aware of the effect. Whereas mm -hmm. I think what you're saying about being seamless, Sam, is exactly right, that it happens, but you don't feel as though you've somehow been taken to a different world. And so, and the, and the other thing I think that happens is that her reality becomes your reality. Uh, so, for example, another moment like that that I think is 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 really enabled by by the medium is when the grandmother shows up in Vienna after she's denied her Iranian identity. And of course, the grandmother isn't really there. The grandmother's in her mind. Um, and yes, you could do that um, as, a, as, a, as a real image, but at the same time, doing it through the animation makes it, uh, again, it's one of those expressive techniques where I feel like we're really in Marjane's psychological space, even as we're at the same time in Vienna. Absolutely. And as I was watching it, I and it was thinking about this same question, another thing that came to mind, and this sort of fits into some of the seamless moving, is um the pacing of the movie. I was trying to think if you if you were to try to make a shot for shot and and uh remake of this live action and try to keep the same pacing, like I don't know that I could handle the speed at which things happened, but for some reason because of the way it was maybe because it simplified visually too that like i feel like they so much more ground can be covered where i feel like if you had people in the scenes i think i would be more confused about now who is this person but because even there's sort of a sameness to the characters on the periphery of the story there's you're less worried about sort of making out who this person is or that person is at certain points that i feel like like it allows the the story to be at a, a the, the pace of the story to be faster without me feeling confused. No, that's, um, a that's a really interesting point because when I was watching the film, I actually had, uh, I had something in the oven and I had to pause it at about, I don't know, 35 or 40 minutes to turn the oven off. And I remember thinking, my gosh, we've covered so much in just the first third of the film. And yet, and yet I didn't feel like I was being rushed. Right. Um, or, I, I didn't, or I didn't feel like I was confused. I mean, the narrative is always very clear. 
but yes, it's very it's very compactly told. And I think part of that is is the use of the the animation. Um, I think it's Ebert or one of the reviewers who points out that there's only or there's only one really image of the of the war. Yeah, they will talk a lot about the war, but there's really only that one image where I think the one he's talking about is where the the soldiers are going into battle and being blown up on the landmines. Um, and that that takes what 45, 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it conveys uh, so much. The other thing uh, about the animation, and this came up in a number of the reviews that I read, um, and and so I'm wondering if this actually comes from from an interview with Sat Rappy, because everybody was was saying this that it's also like it makes the story feel universal because you don't get too many like visual specifics of it being set in Iran, which to you know maybe someone living in the United States like would feel very like foreign and other. But because it it is a little because it's um, visually more simplified, it helps the story to both f- uh, be set in a place where you know where it is, but also have more of a universal feel. That that I, I feel like I read that four or five times reading different reviews. So I'm wondering if that's even something that she talked about. Yeah, I think that, I think that's actually a very interesting point because one of the things that's surprising about the film that makes sense in light of what you, of, of this kind of universality is that. You ne- you never have the Ayatollah named. Um, you never have Islam named. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 all framed in terms of um, an oppressive autocratic ruler like the Shah, and a popular revolution, and a communist movement, and a repressive religious regime. So you can then fit in. Um, all, you can fit in any historical specificity in those. Uh, that that you might like to choose. Now, obviously, the visuals tell you it's Islam, and and you know you're in Iran. But she doesn't she doesn't go to, go to the point of making those really specific references, which I think is is interesting because on the one hand it has this universal quality, but on the other hand, um, part of the part of the story is she's trying to figure out how she can be Iranian or what mm-hmm. it means to continue to be to be Iranian. Um. As you, as we're thinking about this, um, are there other stories that jump to your mind that you think you know they would actually benefit from storytelling in in this type of fashion? I mean, it made me wonder: like, is do we underutilize animation? Because I know there are plenty of people who think anything that anim- that's animated like is by definition sort of lesser or it's sort of broader or it's for kids or things like that and and maybe i'm just not aware of all the other stuff that gets made but like this made me think man are we not making enough are we not are we not utilizing the artists who can create these visual things to tell uh, a wider array of stories and oh, I, I, absolutely sam if, if my if my son were here and i wish he were for this question um, he could bend your ear for the next two hours about about Japanese anime, um, and and anim, anime unfortunately has a, a kind of a poor reputation in this country because, uh, as with film itself, there's lots of different ways of doing anime. But some of the stuff that my son knows and, and watches, um, so a couple of examples come to mind, um, both uh, both of them from Studio Ghibli and. As I mentioned to you last week, I, I wanted to assign a student Ghibli, Studio Ghibli film, but uh, you have to buy them on Amazon. You can't rent them. I, th- I think they're all on HBO Max. If if, if people oh, okay. have that, I think they have the whole catalog. Sure. So 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 there's two two Studio Ghibli films. Um, neither of them by uh, by Miyazaki, but by his um, 
uh, one of the, one of his partners. Uh, one is only called Only Yesterday, uh, which is uh, a actually how I say that it might, it's a lot like Persepolis because it's a it's a it is a coming of age story and it is also a retrospective and it's about a, an act uh, about an I think that's the one that I'm sorry it's not that's not one about the actress that's the one about a young girl who goes to live on a, on a collective farm. Um, anyway, it's it's a it's a domestic story with a young uh, girl at its center, and it reminds me of what Ebert says about Persepolis. That unlike um, so many Western films that have what he calls witless heroines, uh, uh, Marjane is a, a young girl of agency and a very well defined uh, young girl, and that happens a lot in the Japanese anime. The other example I would give uh, is a film I think you probably know is Grave of the Fireflies. Um, I mean, there's an example of a, film, of a film dealing very realistically with the war, um, and it takes on a very uh, serious uh, topic, and I think it does so in a really um, uh, powerful way. So yes, I think, and, and I have been pleased that in recent years, at least some of the Studio Ghibli films and all of the Miyazaki films have kind of come more into people's consciousness. But, but Miyazaki, he's a great filmmaker, but he's often engaging his topics through a kind of, um, uh, a kind of pseudo mythical world that, that, he, that he creates. He's done a few more realistic films recently, um, including his last one. But I think there is um, a potential that we are leaving completely untapped. Um, you know, I love, uh, I love the Pixar films, but that's just one way uh, to do animation. I think we could have a lot more films like, like Persepolis uh, that actually tap into much more serious themes. Are there are there, so I'm going to go back to questions. Are there stories that you think of like oh this actually would be a way to tell that that whether it's a story that would be hard to film or it's just like actually maybe it's even films that exist where it's like that actually would have been better if they could have treated it in in, in something like this. And you don't have to have an answer to that question. I'm just sort of well, curious. Okay. I'm, I'm, no, I'm going to give you an answer because there's a little bit of a story behind this one as well. Um, I, I would I think that Lord of the Rings, for example, would be much better uh, uh, animated, uh, even though, as you probably know, an attempt was made uh, 30 uh, more than th uh, 40 years ago by Ralph Bakshi, uh, who is kind of the one of the leading animators of the 1970s. He rose to fame by doing uh, releasing the first X-rated cartoon, Fritz the Cat. Um, and then he took on uh, Lord of the Rings and it was supposed to be a, a two-part. For some reason, he did the three films in two parts, uh, and part one was so awful uh, and was such a flop that he never got part two. In fact, his career kind of grind, grinded to a halt. Uh, one lasting contribution of that effort was rotoscoping, which I hate, um, but but there you are. Um, so, but I, but I think if somebody with the sensibility of a of a, of a Studio Ghibli animator or even somebody like Satrapi, if they were to take on Lord of the Rings. I think that would. Um, I think that that that's a story that would that would work well. Um, but you're also asking maybe about other kinds of stories that we don't normally think sure. of as animated. Yeah. Um, and and I mean because I, because Persepolis on its face does not. Eat, I mean that's not a film. That, and, and they actually looked at when when this was going to be made. From the little reading I did, there were definitely attempts to. It wasn't necessarily going to be the film we got. There were they were definitely looking at. Oh, this is a great story. What if we did it this way or this way? And we ended up with probably the best version of it. Because um, I think this is. I think um, doing a live action version of this story just would be very different. And I don't. I yeah. So I'm sort of so. So do you do you have other things that that you think would would be uh, fitting for this? 
Well, you know, I, I mean, it's, that's an interesting question. Is now, you know, of course, I'm going, I'm going through my 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 mind, and I'm thinking about, you know, classic, you know, classic serious serious literature. How would that look? I I I really wonder what a Shakespearean adaptation. Uh, would, oh, would, interesting. Would, yeah. Would look like. um, or I'm thinking about, you know, I mentioned earlier, Great Expectations. I mean, I any 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 of Dickens's novels because. One of the things I think would be interesting is that, you know, those are huge novels, right, with big, long, complex plots. But, we, but we've also noted how effective the animation can be at kind of condensing without confusing. Um, so I, I, could, I could imagine that working. I also mentioned I read this graphic novel of Heart of Darkness. Um, I think that, and actually the style in that graphic novel is so much, so much less. It's a very stark black and white. Um, I think that could be a really interesting film. There's just so much that could be done that's much more um imaginative and not cookie cutter like we tend to get these days absolutely um and i i was racking my brain i don't have an answer to that to my own question on there um but i i i think i think that um i think that that there's that it really is something that's underutilized and and, and maybe we're going to be moving into a world where there's more opportunity uh, for people to tell different types of stories in, 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 in different ways. I think especially just the uh, vast number of ways there is to distribute um, a film that it doesn't have to require, uh, you know, a, a theater and a screen to create something and get it out into the world in the same way, even when Persepolis was made, you know, that was, like I said, that was right at the, right at the very beginning of streaming you know where i i we might be entering a world where some of this stuff is more possible also um uh with the things that that exist in order to create these things like this they can be more singular works too to a certain degree you know i've done i've done a little bit of work with animation and things like that and you know you could have somebody who is really passionate about a story and you know it's possible for an, an individual to do a lot of this work well, you know, one, one, one thing that Persepolis also does well is I think about what could also be adopted in this form. And, I, and I'm not suggesting this is unique to animation, but this is something that for some reason this film pulls off really well. And that is tonal shifts. Mm. Um, that, I, that, that's hard to do in any, in any film uh, to be able to go from, uh, and, if you, and, and, if you, and, and in a way, it, it's a little bit like inside out in that sense, right? Because you're inside the head of a young girl growing, growing up into adulthood. And so as you go through those changes of life, there's a lot of different emotions. But I just, I think the way this film so adroitly handles those shifts um, may, as I said, it may not be necessarily inherent in the, in the, in the form. But it somehow, in this particular form, it seems like they could pull that off. Uh, you know, moments of joy and humor, and the heartwarming scenes with the grandmother. But the way that those can, can those can shift to fear and anxiety, and then her descent into depression. I mean, all those things get handled really, really adroitly. Yeah, and that actually leads to an, another thing I want to talk about, which is when we, when you talk, when you mentioned this film last week, you talked about sort of thinking about. Um, animation as autobiography, film as autobiography. And in autobiography, you need to have those tonal shifts because life is not a single tone. I hope for no one, life is a single tone. Um, so uh, I'm so, sort of curious in terms of, I was trying to think of, because film is such a collective, um, you need so many people to, to, even something like this, so many people to make it. I was trying to think of, uh, there's obviously films that are based on autobiographies, but can you think of um, 
auto, examples of, of film as autobiography? Because this definitely seems to fit that. Um, hmm. Because it would seem to need to be a filmmaker, you know, make it, you know, because because I because even a screenwriter writing an autobiography, like getting in the hands of then a director and all these other things, I feel like the, some of that stuff gets belongs to more. Uh, Fellini's Fellini's on record. That 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 would that would be an example of a film autobiography. Okay. Um, I haven't seen that since it came out in 1972, but that's my right. That's my recollection that that's actually. That's actually you know Fellini's autobiography. Um, at least it's him as a young boy. It, I, it doesn't doesn't follow him all the way up into adulthood, but it's certainly him as a young boy. Um, and then of course, Eight and a Half is in, in a sense autobiographical. Um, so those 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 are the, those are the two that occur to me right away. And I and I know there's others that I'll think of, but those are the two that occur to me right away. Both being Fellini. So what drew you to this film uh, in particular for us this week? Uh, it sort of, it kind of springs out of that, uh, that question you, you, just, you just asked, um, Sam, in that, you know, when we looked at Life Animated, we were talking about um, the connection between art, film in particular, art in general, and one's own life, um, and how film helped to kind of form Owen's life. But then even within Life Animated, you have the animations of the world that he kind of created. So I thought it would be interesting to look at a film that kind of extended that idea and actually uh, used animation to tell one's life story. So it is literally, it is literally Mar Jane's life uh, animated. So I couldn't think of a couldn't think of a better example. Um, and uh, some of the things that I that I loved, these are things I just sort of made a little list here of, especially the 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 younger um, Mar Jane in terms of thinking about this as autobiography thing about this as coming of age story is like watching. And th these are things that, that rang very true in terms of childhood, watching her like try on kind of versions of personas or ideologies as she's like listening. Like I just had this distinct memory as a kid of listening to adults have conversations and then trying to like lash together. This is who I am based on the ideas that I'm hearing these adults talk about. Um, you know, so she has this moment at the beginning where she's this, um, sees herself as this combination of like God's greatest prophet and Bruce Lee, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, but then like, but then like other politics sort of seeps in and now there's also sort of this testing of the limits, you know, like, okay, I hear people talking about this revolution and, and, you know, mm. th these things happening. And then when they go after that, the, the, the kids go after that other kid, they're sort of like in a sense, trying to make sense out of what they're hearing. It's like, well, okay, this is what we're supposed to do then. Right. And then you get scolded for that. And you're trying to figure out, wait a minute. I thought this is, I thought I was doing what you were talking about or what I was hearing. Um, and I, I just, I just, I really, I really, really enjoyed um, sort of the, especially the young Marjane scenes um, because those, those seem to ring very true to childhood. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's obviously not, she, she has not at all forgotten what it's like to, to live in that world. Uh, emotionally. So did you watch this in, uh, in English or French? Oh, in French. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so did I, I didn't realize, I didn't even realize there was an English version until I started to read reviews about that. That's that, that is such a pet peeve for me, Sam, kind of, you know, back to Japanese anime, you know, in a way it's great that Disney uh, created a connection with Ghibli studio, studio Ghibli. And so they have these American releases, but, but then they dubbed them. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, to, that, that's, that's a kind of sacrilege because the voice work is so important in animation, how you, you know, who you cast. And especially in the case of, 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 the, uh, of the French uh, cast because of the really kind of interesting um, interrelationship among the three uh, voices. Um, mm-hmm. So Mara Jane, uh, once she's, she moves out of girlhood, when she uh, as a teenager and young woman, she's voiced by Chiara Mastrioni, who is the daughter of Catherine Deneuve, the great French actress, and Marcello Mastrioni, the great Italian actor. Her mother is voiced by her mother, Catherine Deneuve. The grandmother is voiced by Danielle Darrow, who, who was one of the great um, French actresses of the 20th century. She had a 76 year career, and in several films, she played Catherine Deneuve's mother. Oh, really? So, I, I, so in addition to the fact that they're all wonderful actors, um, they, they, they have this either literal or, um, or, or professional familial relationship. Um, and man, I, you know, I would I wouldn't want to miss their voices for the world. It, it also becomes really fun uh, towards the end when um, Marjane does her little montage to Eye of the Tiger, and uh, so you know you get the French accent, and it's uh, Chiara Mastrioni deliberately singing off key. Right. Um, so it's it's you know I, so to me I, I I now you know I haven't listened to the American to the English anglicized version, but I can't imagine it being. Uh, anywhere near as good without those original voices. And, 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 and if, you want, if you want to get a sense of that, if you ever get a chance, I mean, Matthew experiences this, if you ever get a chance to watch an American film that's been dubbed into a, another language, um, and that's what will happen when he goes to watch films in Japan sometimes, um, you, can, you can see how poorly uh, the attempt to recreate those voices, if there's even an attempt to do that, how poorly that, that goes. So I just can't imagine this film without the characterization. And I think that's the key thing. The voices aren't just, they aren't just neutral sounds that people are making deliver words. They are characterizations. So if you change voice actors, you've changed the character. Um, so anyway. Yeah, and, and when this when this film was released in England, I know theaters were given the choice of which which version they wanted to to put out or to 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 show um it's interesting thinking about those three actresses and you talked about you know a real life mother mother daughter and um and it's interesting i I always like to sort of think about how things we're watching relate to other things and it's uh it's it's you know we a few weeks ago watched a, a movie which is about fathers and sons in lots of ways and field of dreams and this is really a movie you know in lots of ways about mothers and daughters and grandmothers and um, and I, I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed sort of those relationships, um, because those are, you know, and this, this might be, have a lot to do with, uh, biases in the way that I choose the books I read sometimes and the movies I watch, but, um, but it was, I really enjoyed seeing, um, seeing that the, the mother daughter and especially the mother granddaughter relationship in this movie. Well, and, 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 yeah, and, and something else I would say is interesting about this film is it's it's in a sense um, almost Shakespearean in that sense, in that you have this backdrop of this huge political historical revolution, but it's also a domestic drama, and and that's and that's what you get in Shakespeare, right? Lear, uh, King Lear, for example, uh, you know, huge changes going on in the kingdom. He, uh, terrifying things happening in the in nature but ultimately it's also a, dom- a domestic drama and i think the relationship with the grandmother is um 
is probably the most important relationships in the relationship in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, as I me- as I mentioned earlier, those jasmine petals uh, fall throughout the opening credits, uh, and the opening credits themselves, I feel like um, they're they're the they're the whole movie kind of in miniature. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, as I was watching, I was thinking, you know, I, th- I think each of these scenes in the opening credits can correspond to some element of, of the film. Um, but early on, you know, Mar Jane tells her tells her grandmother that um, uh, when, when she's when she uh, kind of is in charge of the world, old old women uh, will not suffer because it will be forgiven. Um, but then I love I love I also like one of the things that happens in this film is they spend they spend a fair amount of time watching other films. But that also happens mm-hmm. in the movie, right? Uh, mm-hmm. As well as watching things like Arnold Schwarzenegger on TV. But I just happen to love the scene when they come out of watching Godzilla, and the grandmother says, "What a what a load of crap! They <laughs> got themselves to make hideous monsters. That's all they do." Um, but but then she has kind of a um, she's literally a mentor, right? Before it's almost like Polonius talking to Laertes in, in Hamlet before Marjane goes off to Vienna. She says, uh, "There's nothing worse than bitterness and revenge." Keep your dignity and be true to yourself. Uh, and then when Marjane disappoints her by um, getting an innocent man arrested, you know she's ashamed of her and she reminds her that it's that you have to have integrity. Um, so the grandmother really is kind of she's the the voice of wisdom and uh, kind of I think the person who helps Marjane become uh, the woman that she becomes, including becoming independent at the end. Uh, and I, I mentioned earlier, uh, in terms of the sort of response to this movie and critical response was was pretty overwhelmingly positive. Um, there were other responses. The the Iranian government um, not necessarily uh, loving uh, loving this film, um, and and you know it made me think about. I mean, we don't always go into like uh, into religion in films as we talk here, but like I, I was thinking about the the idea of the story being both specific and universal uh attempts mm-hmm. to make it that way and so i was thinking like what do you think this film tells us about fundamentalism <laughs> well you know it's uh I, th- I i think it tells us a couple things first of all I, um sam i think it tells us that the um i don't know how i want to put this that the that the intentions often do not mirror the results hmm. so you know it, it, you you have the irony of course that they've traded one form of autocracy uh for for another um and and i and i and i and i don't know that that means that fundamentalism is uh necessarily a false promise but i think it may be a promise where people don't know exactly what what they're getting um uh-huh. i think it also tells us that like any extremism um is something to be to be wary of, um, and there's lots of extremisms. Um, uh, you can have extreme communism, extreme socialism. Um, it, it's it's hard to have extreme democracy, not to get too political, but I think you can have democracy that succeeds at a variety and fails in a variety of ways. But it's it's hard to imagine extreme democracy unless you want to go uh, the anarchist route. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think. You know, there's there's a there's a there's a sense in the film that you know this is what the people want, and so maybe that's a third lesson. You know, beware of what the people want, uh, mm-hmm. because Anoush has faith in the people, uh, which is also, of course, a communist uh, notion as well. Uh, and uh, it may turn out that people may not know what's best for them. 
So, uh, but we're we're running out of time before we uh, get to the recommendation for next week. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna say about uh, about Persepolis? Yeah, I just I, I want to actually continue your conversation about religion, and that is that I I really like the way the film is structured by her three conversations with God, um, and and each and and you know first there's a conversation in which uh, she's told by God that it's her duty to forgive. Um, it's so in that sense, God's voice is kind of like the grandmother's voice, or vice versa. And then they're in the middle of the film. Of course, she's angry at God, and she kind of exiles him. Uh, and then at the end, when she thinks she's dead and she meets God, I love the fact that Karl Marx is there as well. Uh, she meets God and Karl Marx. And then she's told, go and do what you have to do, which then I think ties into the, into the theme of, of, of freedom, mm -hmm. um, because that's really what the film is about. The film is about discovering how to be free, but also the cost of freedom. Um, and she ultimately has to choose you know, not, not to, be in, to be in Iran because she can't truly be free there. Well, Barrett, I like I said, I really loved this movie, and this is one that I because because it also has so much in it. It's one that I'm gonna have to um, I'm gonna have to revisit uh, gleefully revisit multiple times. This is something I'm excited to go back and it's, and also because I was reading subtitles, I always have this anxiety like, am I missing seeing something because I'm reading and trying to keep up with it? So I kind of want to have a watch through where I I know the story now, and I just want to watch. The visual elements of the film. Yeah, that's yeah, that happens to me too. I I, I usually watch these films with a with a pad and paper and a pad and pen, and I'm all, often pausing them to, you know, write down lines or backing up and copying down lines. So yeah, it would be nice just to watch it kind of all the way through. But I'm always afraid of forgetting any any idea that happens to be uh, happen to be fortunate enough to have flipped through my mind. So I well, we well, we appreciate the work that you that you put into it. Um, so, well, as, as Macbeth says, the labor we delight in physics pain. Um, but but two quick notes before we talk about next week, um, mm -hmm. Sam. One is the 1999 film I was trying to think of, which uh, I'm a little nervous about recommending or because I haven't seen it recently. But Amy and I have watched it twice, and both times we thought it was delightful. It's it's called My Life So Far. That's uh, that's um, the one with Colin Firth, uh, okay. directed, by, directed by Hugh Hudson, who directed Chariots of Fire. And then I want to mention a graphic novel because it's really brilliant that I actually did appreciate. It's called The Best We Could Do, uh, an illustrated memoir. It's about a Vietnamese family uh, coming to America. Uh, and that was a, that to me was a graphic novel I really appreciated. Great. Uh, so what do we have for next week? Well, you know, I was thinking about the fact that you and I have both in the last couple of weeks have watched uh, Spike Lee's new film, The Five Bloods. Um, and so I think it's time to do some classic Hollywood and go back and watch Treasure of Sierra Madre. Oh, that's, I'm very I, excited for that. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen it in several years and, uh, and I just thought it'd be so fun to watch it, especially in close connection with Lee's film. And, and, and if our listeners haven't seen The Five Bloods yet, uh, this would be a good excuse to to see to watch those films in tandem. Perfect. I will say that is a movie I have seen pieces of, and it's like Shakespeare. It's one of those things that gets uh, parodied and repackaged. So, like, I feel like I I know a lot about it, but I don't think I've ever actually seen it uh, beginning to end. So, I'm very excited for that. I am too. I love I love, right. I love this excuse I have to watch movies. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, recommending Persepolis and uh, talking us through the film. We'll be back next week uh, to talk about the treasure of Sierra Madre. <laughs>